Hello, and welcome to the Days of Learning podcast. I'm your host, David Nelson. And today, I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Today, my guest is Tim Nikolai with the American Heart Association. Welcome, Tim. Good morning. Glad to be here. Uh, we are too. You know, we're going to be getting into a heart month in February, and we're so glad that we could schedule a couple of shows around cardiovascular health. So I'm so glad to have you today to speak about the Heart Association Community Health and all things that you're working on. So we've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Likewise. So let me tell you about Tim. I've known Tim, I think, for about six or seven years now. Um, and Tim is the Senior Community Impact Director for the American Heart Association in Wisconsin. He's been with the association for nearly 13 years in a variety of roles. As he leads the Wisconsin Community Impact Team, they are focused on building a culture of health where all individuals have the maximum opportunity to make the decisions that will impact their health for years to come. This often means changing policies and systems related to nutrition, chronic disease, and tobacco. He lives in Port Washington with his wife and two children. That's pretty cool because many people will think of the Heart Association as just that group that just uh, that just present, prevents heart attacks. You guys are so much more than that. We're trying to be certainly yes. Um, realize that you you can't you have to move upstream certainly if we're really going to make the the changes that the community needs for better cardiovascular and overall health. We're going to talk about that stream in a little bit, but, you know, I always start with the question of tell us your journey and, and let's get into some of the things that have led you to this place where you're with the association in this role of the idea of community impact director, which is a very strong phrase. So tell us about your journey to this point. Yeah, it's been a, been a little bit of a surprise to be here, I guess, in some ways, if I'm being completely honest. Um, you know, I, I went to, I grew up in the military. My dad was in the army. So I grew up all around the world, um, came back home to Wisconsin and went to Ripon College where I studied political science and education and kind of thought, well, maybe politics or education is my, my future. Um, and I didn't quite work out how I had, how I had planned and intended. Um, so I had this vague sense of, well, I got to find a job. Let's find a job that'll help some people. Um, and so first job out of college was as an administrative associate here at the Heart Association. Um, didn't really know where that would take me, but uh, 13 years later, still here and, and liking and, and loving the fact that I do get to do just what I wanted to initially is help people, um, you know, and kind of fortuitously as well. Um, a lot of that help stems from changing policies and doing education. So I'm, I'm right back where I started from with my college education in a lot of ways as well. You know, you mentioned a couple of things that I'm going to, I want to key on. And, and the first one being, you were a, uh, your, your, father, your father was in the military. Talk about that influence on your life. A tremendous, uh, opportunity and you know certainly appreciative of his service and everybody's service in the in the military but it, it got to our family to move around the United States um, several places around the world I was fortunate enough to be living in Germany when I was in high school uh, so had a real chance to 
travel around Europe and, you know, a, a tennis tournament was in Belgium, not uh, the town next door necessarily. So that was tremendous opportunities, um, really taught me about the importance of community as it exists around you, um, really taught us all about the need to be flexible. And that's certainly true in, in this world right now for all of us is rolling with the punches a little bit and adopting, adapting to what's happening around us. So I think definitely a lot of lessons learned um, that continue to help benefit me today. And then the second thing, you wanted a job. You didn't say I wanted a job to make money or I wanted a job to, to be the best manufacturing person. You said, I wanted a job to help people. Where does that come from for you, Tim? Well, I think it's, that, you know, to some extent, the idea of service that uh, my father and others instilled in me. Um, I think that's part of it. I think there's kind of that sense that when you have a lot and you've been blessed, you should share that with others. And so I think that definitely has resonated with me for a while. And like I said, at the time, my family had been fortunate. We weren't personally touched by cardiovascular disease. So I didn't have a, a personal connection that a lot of my colleagues do in that sense. Um, but I had done uh, jump rope for heart as a fourth or fifth grader. So I knew a little bit about the American Heart Association and uh, thought we'd give it a shot. So. <laughs> right on. You know what? You just never know where those, those, um, those moments come that can be influential. And I, I, I'm certain your father's service to the country uh, and commitment to the country has been a strong influence for you as well. So tell us about the association. You know, if you had a, a word or a phrase or a, a sentence that would describe it, what would it be? Yeah, I think, I mean, to start with kind of the, the official mission statement that we added or updated a couple of years ago is to be a relentless force for a world of longer, healthier lives. Um, and I think that was a, a big step forward to us. You know, it no longer did that mission statement mention cardiovascular disease um, directly. And certainly that's in our name and at the, the heart of what we do. But recognizing that we can't focus on cardiovascular disease in isolation, that it's so interconnected with other disease states and, and so um, driven as well, cardiovascular disease in and of itself is driven by circumstances far outside of the inner workings of our, of our heart. Um, and so we need to, needed to do a better job of connecting with other groups and organizations and bringing their expertise into the fold as well as looking at some of the social determinants of health and the like that position people for better or worse cardiovascular health, depending on where they are on that spectrum. I gotta ask you, because I love that mission statement, but you and I both come from a public health background and we speak of upstream factors, downstream factors and so on. Was there some concern from old timers, people that have been around for a long time that suddenly we're not doing heart stuff any longer? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's been some of that concern initially when we when we rolled it out and, and sometimes even individuals or groups we're talking to in the community, um, not that they're opposed to it by any stretch of the imagination, but they it does 
kind of sometimes cause them to do a double take when the Heart Association is involved in conversations around COVID vaccinations, you know, is, is the newest topic and, and the Heart Association really believes that that's an important public health message that needs to get out there, mm -hmm. um, but not one that some people would naturally think of the Heart Association as promoting. So things like that just kind of make people wonder a little bit once in a while. Um, but I think that can add to the value of our participation as well in that if you're hearing about important information from a somewhat unexpected source, maybe it makes you pay attention a little bit more than you would have if it's from the usual suspects, if that makes sense. I, didn't, I had never thought of that. So and I, is, is everyone on board in the current iteration of this uh, mission statement? Yeah, we've seen, I mean, we're now a, a couple years into it. Um, and as we've talked about it over the last few years, you know, certainly our staff has really risen to the occasion on that concept. Um, and we've seen volunteers really rally around it as well as they gain that that bigger picture view that we're taking of, of total health for the community. I was drawn to that phrase, relentless force. Tell me what that means from your perspective. I think, you know, cardiovascular disease has been the number one killer in the United States and around the world for at least a century. Um, and we've seen tremendous gains in terms of reducing the, the burden, and yet it still remains the number one killer um, and, and likely will for the foreseeable future. Um, and so for 100 years, good stuff has been happening, good progress has been made, and yet it remains this, this bar that hasn't yet been cleared. Um, so it, you know, it, it demonstrates the requirement for long-term commitment to the effort. Um, and sometimes that's commitment to more and continued research. Sometimes that's commitment to um, changing some of those policies. You know, we were working on, we're, we just celebrated last year, I believe it was the 10-year the anniversary of smoke-free indoor air legislation in Wisconsin. Um, but that was a, an effort that I think, if I remember right, the, the first legislation to that effect was introduced in the legislature back in like 1970 something. That was a 40 year effort um, <laughs> led by dozens and dozens and hundreds of health individuals and, and volunteers and whatnot over those decades. Um, but it paid off. And we don't know what the next 40 year challenge will be specifically, um, but we know that it's an effort worth undertaking. I gotta, you know, I'm I'm a loss for words for a moment, but we sometimes forget how long it takes to make those changes. We're not that patient, though. It can be hard to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I was thinking, Tim, you had said that despite all the good things that are happening, heart disease is still the number one killer. So in other words, despite the fact that we're making huge gains, we still have a, a long way to go. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the, the overall percentage of deaths has decreased by 60 some percent since the 60s, you know, in terms of raw numbers um, and proportionate population as a whole, but it still is that number one killer and still about one in three 
deaths in the Milwaukee area will be ultimately attributed to cardiovascular disease and or stroke. Um, and so that's a, a tremendous burden in so many ways on our, on our community. And there's things we can all do to help reduce that burden going forward. So tell us about your role, your role in the association. Uh, and um, what are some of the things that you're working on these days? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm fortunate in that my role takes me in a lot of different directions. Um, and so I'm never, never bored in what we get to do. Um, a lot of it does ultimately focus on making sustainable changes for health, um, helping employers to do that, helping healthcare organizations to do that, helping local government and or school districts to change policies that might help do that. Um, and then at the same time, I, I get to work with our development team as well to tell the story of that impact um, and help um, that story resonate with people who want to invest in that mission and help us keep doing the work that we're doing. Um, so it's a nice, again, a, a nice variety of day in and day out, um, talking to people whose lives, you know, ultimately depend on our mission. And then how can we help that resonate with those who are not yet aware of how impactful and how um, important cardiovascular, how, how relevant cardiovascular health is going to be to them in the future, even if they're not fully cognizant of it yet. You mentioned this idea of policies and many of our listeners won't necessarily understand what that means or <clears throat> like many of us who geek out on this stuff we their eyes will glaze over while we lean into it what does that mean and do you have an example talk about policy yeah i think it it really what what we try to frame policies as is it's creating the environment to help make health the norm um, and so you know we most of us have an employer and there are policies that employers have every day and day every day. Um, and we've seen health-related policies and practices come about even more so with COVID and you know where people should work and should there be masks in the office and social distancing. And so that's really helped drive employer health policy to the forefront for a lot of people. Um, on our end, it, it's more along the lines of, you know, if someone is trying to stop smoking what is the tobacco policy in our workplace? Now, thanks to the state legislator, you can't smoke indoors, but what is the tobacco policy on your grounds or in company vehicles? Um, and by creating a norm where tobacco is not tobacco use is not happening at the workplace at all, you know, it's one more reason or method to help an individual tobacco user move to quit. Um, and so we've created a norm around tobacco use in those companies. Similarly, um, we talk about issues like food deserts, where you know the Heart Association, certainly lots of other organizations have long told people the value of eating healthy and eating more fruits and vegetables, et cetera. Um, but recognizing that for large portions of Milwaukee and, and across the state, that's not readily accessible to them. So by creating policies that can incentivize and make um, healthy food more available, you've helped create an environment where healthy food can become more of a norm and less of a burden that somebody has to seek out on their own. And that's really what we're trying to do. 
in a, and in a number of different capacities. I want to know because I think I find this fascinating in your example around the smoking, uh, your smoke free and in indoor environment. How do you guys begin to identify those areas where you might want to have this relentless force around policies? How does it give us the cycle of this? Tell us in some detail about how that works. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a multi-leveled approach, um, you know, and we actually went through an updated an update to the process in the last six to eight months, um, where you know certainly we wanted as a national organization to put our our weight behind efforts that made sense for us to be involved in. Um, you know, where does the science, as a science-based organization, we want to know. What does the science say about a particular topic in terms of its importance to health, in terms of a particular intervention that can help address some of those concerns or challenges around an area of health? And so they kind of set that landscape for us across the country. Um, and then what we were fortunate enough to do is here in Milwaukee, um, over late July and into August, we held a series of community listening sessions um, where we got to hear from 30 to 40 community leaders throughout Milwaukee around what they're seeing as the health challenges that are the greatest burden to the community. Um, and going into that a little bit and you know through the lens of what's realistic for the Heart Association, understanding then where they saw, these community leaders saw us being able to get involved. Um, and then specifically, matching those up with some policy initiatives and priorities that were realistic and feasible in Wisconsin over the next couple of years. You know, again, that that sense of urgency, but also recognition that there needs to be patience. Um, so not expecting things to change overnight, but but working towards those changes ultimately. I'm glad you're reminding me to be patient because I'm not. I'll just be I'll just be honest, Tim. I'm, I'm not. I, I, I expect this done by the end of the year so we can go uh, we can go out to brunch or something. I don't know. Um, I am I am fascinated by that. Two areas. I want you to speak first off to the national. What did you what? Because you guys are part of this this national network, and frankly, I can imagine there's an international network too. But let's talk about the national landscape. What are you What are you hearing out there? Uh, that what are some of these leading edges? Yeah. So I would say you know to to put it into broad buckets. Um, we are very concerned about tobacco use, um, recognizing that with the rise of e-cigarettes and vaping, that tobacco usage rates overall are back where they were 20 or 25 years ago. Oh. Um, and, you know, tremendously disappointing. And we're seeing younger and younger students get hooked on that at a, at a alarming rate. Um, so tobacco use is certainly important to us. Um, we're, we're doing a lot on chronic disease, um, and I know that's kind of at the heart of, of some of these calls and presentations as well. Um, you know, over 100 million American adults have high blood pressure, and most of them, half of them about, do not have it under control. Um, and so that puts them at dramatically higher risk for heart disease and stroke as well as new research suggesting that it puts them at higher risk for dementia and Alzheimer's and, and other conditions that you don't necessarily think of as a high blood pressure related incident as well. Um, 
we're also doing a lot around nutrition security um, and helping realize that yes, we would love for everybody to eat healthy, um, but for far too many people in our community and across the country, individuals struggle to eat period. And so how can we get them food and then along the way, help that to be as healthy a food as possible. Um, and so we have efforts kind of tackling both sides of that question. Um, and then the last one I would say that has become increasingly important and kind of intersects with the others is when we look at questions around health equity and health disparities um, and understanding that the burdens of food insecurity, of tobacco use, of chronic disease do not fall the same on all segments of the population by any stretch of the imagination. Um, that African-Americans, Hispanics, women, you know, depending on how you slice it, different subpopulations of our community have disproportionate rates of all of those concerns. Um, and our reality is that when one segment of the population is their health is suffering, ultimately it impacts the health of all of us. Um, and so addressing it and helping overcome those barriers and those disparities can therefore benefit the health of everybody too. Um, which is really what we're trying to get people to rally around as well. Yeah, those are some pretty big initiatives when you talk about 300 million Americans um, and you're talking about one third people, you know, still, what is it, 20% of the population still smokes, right, uses tobacco and then chronic diseases, nutrition security and health equity for, for groups of individuals. I want to get into the, the, the measurement and impact, but can you then take that, what you said at the national level, and what, are, what did local leaders tell you? Because it, my work in community engagement says that we need, we must check in with the local to make sure that we're on the right track so we don't have these, uh, our own ideas around this, but we're checking with local people to get them to weigh in on what are some of the issues. Sure. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's critically important. And, you know, it was, it's an ongoing effort for us as we continue to try to better understand and connect with the, the information that others are, are gathering and seeing firsthand, certainly. Um, you know, I think they saw an absolute need to, to work on all of those pillars at the local level as well. Um, you know, we saw that when we talk about, um, chronic disease. The Milwaukee Healthcare Partnership had done a, a community health survey in the last couple of years and individual residents surveyed through that process had identified chronic disease as their number one health concern. You know, so there's a, a sense in the community even that, yeah, blood pressure, diabetes, these are real challenges for us. Um, when we talk about uh, nutrition, food insecurity, the, the estimates I've seen from Feeding America and others is that by the end of 2020, you know, so a month ago now, they were anticipating that 27% of Milwaukee kids would be food insecure. Um, seeing a, a rapid rise in that number, thanks to COVID and, and related complications. Um, so the, the need is, is definitely there and, and nobody disagreed with any of that. You know, the question then becomes, what do we do about it? Um, and, and what's within the realm of the possible. And so that's where um, we're trying in, in various ways to 
again, bring evidence-based best practices to the forefront um, and see where we can help bring people together, bring science together um, and make a difference in things. You had mentioned some pretty big issues. Um, we know that there is a, a, a direct relationship between tobacco and heart disease. What are some of the other causes of heart disease and chronic disease from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, when you look at something like hypertension, like high blood pressure, you know, I think a number of things go into that. Um, and that's both problematic, but also encouraging in that, in that there are a number of levers we can put our weight behind to help address it. Um, so, you know, blood pressure to some extent is a, a function of overall physical health, you know, tobacco contributes to that certainly, but so does the, the your diet, your nutritional intake. Um, things like reducing sodium in particular can have a dramatic impact on lowering your blood pressure. Um, so can increasing physical activity. Um, one of my favorite statistics as we watch the, the stock market go crazy and up and down and, and whatnot is that a half an hour of brisk walking can add an hour to your life expectancy. Um, and so there's, there's virtually nowhere where you can get a guaranteed uh, two for one return on your investment. Um, but physical activity, you know, at least under certain constraints can do that for you. Um, and then increasingly so the connection between physical and mental health, um, understanding the impact that stress and trauma can have on underlying physical health conditions like high blood pressure and how do we create environments and, you know, what would it mean for somebody's blood pressure if they got stable housing? Um, you can't necessarily write a prescription for that yet um, or track it in the same way, but the, the evidence definitely suggests that that would have a tremendous benefit on our, our physical underlying cardiovascular health as well as removing some of those traumatic barriers as well. I, I got to ask you. I am uh, I am lost in thought a little bit. I I'm I'm struck by that that return on investment of a half hour of physical activity increases your life by an hour. That's pretty cool. Uh, we got to put that on a T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> but you're talking something that often isn't promoted. Now you you mentioned several things that we can do. Um, don't use tobacco increase your physical activity, um, improve your nutrition. Those are individual behaviors, which we have some control over. But you said something that I want to, I'm glad you did because I would have brought it up at, at some point. You said, I can't write a, a prescription for stable housing. I'm going to say, why can't you? <laughs> well, and I am in, Maybe we'll get there at some point for sure. Um, you know, we, we, that's a little bit outside of our, our realm, although we certainly recognize the importance of that. Um, it's the type of things that we're glad conversations are happening about. But we are very much working on efforts and looking at, you know, writing prescriptions for healthy food. 
um, so that along with the blood pressure medication you get from your provider, you know, the simple fact that they're now directly telling you um, that eating more fruits and vegetables will also impact your blood pressure can be just kind of a, a motivational uh, mindset, a technique, if you will. But at the same time, how much better would that be if we had dollars to actually let that person, you know, who may not have the income, disposable income to go buy fruits and vegetables on their own. Now maybe we give them a voucher that they can redeem at the local farmer's market or the local neighborhood grocery store um, so that those fruits and vegetables become that much more attainable for them. And, you know, once they see the value of that, hopefully it, it helps them continue to seek that out in the future as well and build healthy habits. Hey, I, I want to, uh, there is a relationship there. I, I want to stay on this topic because we know families, you and I both know families that are spending upwards of 70 to 80% of their, of their income on housing. Mm-hmm. Much of it is not stable. So sure. it's not only unstable, but it leaves very little money for anything else. So you know what? Fresh fruits and vegetables, if you're spending 80% on housing, you're not going to be buying fresh fruit. You're going to buy stuff that's shelf-stable and yep. convenient. Yep. You're talking about things that people can't control to a certain degree. This is important to me because it speaks to the bigger picture and takes it out of the the notion that people can control all facets of their lives. My question in this is how do we have a larger conversation around this when it relates to the health of the community? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think to a large extent, people have a general sense of what is a healthy choice for them. You know, I, one of my roles with the Heart Association used to be to go around to schools and talk to students about um, ways they could be healthy. And no matter what part of the city or state I was in, pretty much regardless of the age the students were, um, they had a general sense that broccoli is better for you than a brownie. Um, you know, that getting physical activity is better for your health than playing video games. They kind of knew that, generally speaking. Um, and so certainly we would encourage the students and I encourage people now to, to make the individual choices that are within, within their control. You know, when they go to the grocery store, try to buy that, that broccoli or that apple or whatnot. Um, but then recognizing that we hit a ceiling very quickly sometimes in terms of what is really within the, the realm of our individual control. And so my, my, our hope is and our work is on empowering people and encouraging people to go to where the control rests. Um, you know, if you want a healthier workplace environment as an employee, we encourage you to go talk to your human resources department about what we can do to bring health into our workplace. Um, if we're looking at health in the wider community, we definitely encourage and try to provide opportunity for individuals to let their government leaders know about these are the barriers to health in our community. Let's do something about it together. 
Um, you know, I mean, I think we had what 150-ish million Americans vote in November, um, and we know that that level of engagement will not happen in the midterm elections. We know it won't happen in spring elections. Um, and we know certainly that it won't happen between elections. Um, but the, the work of government does not stop or end with elections. Um, and the opportunities for people to make their voices heard does not stop or end at the ballot box. Um, and so how can we empower people and educate them on advocating for their health um, year round and in their community and at all levels of, of government is what we're trying to do. You know, imagine, and I'm, I'm, I am empowered in that and it gives me ideas about what we can do and to promote, but imagine if 150, Amer 150 million, 150 for that matter, 150 million Americans said to their communities, hey man, heart health, still the number one killer. What are we doing about it? Sure. What has been the response from, uh, and I appreciate you weighing in on this because man, you got some, you got some chops here, man. Um, what's been the response from the greater community, government, industry, when you bring up things like stable housing and good nutrition, making nutrition available. I got to tell you, when you said brownies or broccoli, I'm like, can we put broccoli in brownies? I don't know. <laughs> um, but there are some broccoli that, you know, I've seen some stuff that it's like, I wouldn't eat that. And sure. I know it's good for me. What is the response from, from the greater community about this message around heart health? Yeah, I mean, I think it ultimately, it, it resonates with a lot of people. Um, the challenge then is, as you can, you know, especially when we're talking about government and, and the resources they have, you know, there's a lot of great things out there that government can invest in, a lot of great causes, if you will, um, when it comes to financial resources or, or time resources or, or whatever the case might be. Um, and so for our, it's incumbent on, on us as an organization to really elevate these needs. Um, and again, point, paint the picture that um, the benefits extend beyond the obvious and the immediate. Mm -hmm. So one of the efforts that we're working on right now is a program at the state level to have additional money available for SNAP recipients to help them get additional fruits and vegetables. Um, so there's SNAP food share produce incentives. And about 28 states have those in place right now. Um, and we would like Wisconsin to be one of the next ones. Um, so the immediate obvious benefit is that individuals with limited economic means at their disposal, at least just for the time being, um, can have some additional funding to go buy fruits and vegetables. And that supports their cardiovascular health, um, hopefully build some of those healthy habits that would continue if and when they are able to, you know, remove themselves or be removed from the, the food share benefit program because their economic stability has increased. But at the same time, we're definitely providing immediate economic benefits to our farmers and helping them um, have sustainable jobs that will keep feeding us for the future. And so these different layers of benefits happen all throughout a lot of the work we're trying to do. 
um, where the immediate, the, the obvious beneficiary of the work is there certainly, but there's secondary beneficiaries of the work that are just as important. Um, and I think can help elevate the, the importance of the issue for legislatures and government officials. I love that concept of the layers of benefits. What's been the response in this particular example of providing additional SNAP benefits? What are the what is the legislature? What's their response? So it's a brand new uh, legislative session, and so we're just now beginning those conversations. Um, what's encouraging to us is that those twenty-eight states are across the country. Um, it's more rural states. It's more urban states. It's red states. It's blue states, and so we we think there's a way that this message can really resonate with a number of different um, segments of the, of the population and portions of our leadership um, and that we can see you know success at the end of the day. I know one, one of the talking one of the uh, concepts too is that there are sometimes local programs like this. So Fondi Farmers Market has a, a market match program and I know from from talking to some of the folks over there that that money is made available through philanthropy and other venues, um, avenues, but it, you know, it, it's never enough. And they, they constantly have a demand that exceeds the supply. And so kind of the proof of concept of community responding to it is here in our community um, and, and at other places in the state. So we're hopeful that that can also resonate with our, our government officials um, in that sense. It's interesting because it is a yes and because we want the immediacy of doing of thinking this way to say let's get more people fresh access to fresh fruits and vegetables that's a good thing. But to think about it over this idea of the course of generations mm -hmm. doing this over decades and getting people engaged at multiple levels, it really you really have to have the, the short the what can we do now and what can we think about for the long term of, of the sure. issues. Yep, yep. And I think you know we've really seen that happen too with with the, the pandemic in and of itself as well that the, the immediate need is to prevent the spread of COVID to treat COVID to vaccinate against COVID. But then it's also an opportunity and a rallying opportunity for stepping back and seeing that, well, the folks with hypertension are, and the folks with diabetes are some of the ones most at risk for COVID. And so how do we address those underlying conditions for long-term health? Because um, we know that that's gonna contribute to poor health outcomes in and of itself. And chances are the next pandemic would also disproportionately impact um, individuals with those underlying conditions as well. So how can we get ahead of the game? Um, I think, you know, this is a, an opportunity for not only the American Heart Association, but for the community as a whole. If you've been someone who's kind of ignored health for a while and, and thought it's a, it's a problem for somebody else to deal with, um, I'm hopeful that it's gonna become more of a topic of conversation and a course for action for everybody going forward here what choice do we have? Well, you know, it goes back to what the mission statement that being that relentless force. And so that we can't let up the gas uh, and we have to think about the idea of how we think about this in the immediate and the long term. Right. You know, I want you to kind of get into this because talk a, a bit about what the association stands for 
about those things that people can control? What would you tell the community from the association's perspective? Here, I want you to do these five things or what things would you want the community to do to think about heart disease and chronic disease management like hypertension, stroke, type two diabetes? Sure, sure. Um, so probably about a decade ago now, we did some research on what are the primary markers that will indicate your future cardiovascular health. Um, and so it was life's simple seven. Um, and it was your, your diet and you know the nutritional content of that. It was physical activity. It was tobacco use. It was um, body mass index. And then it was your numbers for cholesterol, uh, blood glucose and and blood pressure. Um, and there are there were red, green, and yellow zones for each of those seven metrics. Um, and the evidence strongly suggested that if you were in the green zone for most of those, your chance at age 50, your chance of ever developing cardiovascular disease went way down. But moving to the red zone for even a couple of those, um, and it caused a dramatic spike in your risk for cardiovascular disease. And so that's kind of been a nice framework for us in a, in a lot of our messaging is here are these seven things. Um, and just like we can't expect a policymaker to make changes on everything we'd love them to do in one short period of time, um, you know, not necessarily possible or feasible or realistic for an individual to address all seven of those immediately. Um, but within that realm, how can we help you identify where you're at right now and then get you the resources you need to work on one or two of them? You know, we, we mentioned the stat about physical activity earlier. If you can just commit to and find opportunity for more physical activity, you know, that's going to help your blood pressure and your glucose along the way, um, your BMI. And you're going to start to see those residual benefits throughout the other metrics as well. And so maybe physical activity is not your thing for different reasons, but maybe it's, it's nutrition. And you, you make a concerted effort to have more fruits and vegetables to cut down on sodium, et cetera. Um, and so just giving people different doorways they can walk through as they seek health, I think is a really important concept. They really are all linked together in how we think about these. So we can think about those individual. And I like how you said, if you think about one, that you can think about all of them. Um, we know that there's no, we'll just say this, we don't promote just, we don't say, hey, how about a little bit of tobacco? No, there is no good tobacco. Don't use, if you're using tobacco, stop. Correct. But, and, and if you're not using tobacco, don't start. Um, but these other things, blood glucose, and cholesterol and, and blood pressure related to diet, related to physical activity and certainly related to, to tobacco. What are people's reactions when you say, here's some pretty simple things that doesn't take a lot of effort to, to get an understanding. What's the reaction that you get? I think it, it helps people feel better about it. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we let the, the perfect become the enemy of the good. Mm. Um, and in particular, when it comes to questions of health, 
you know, too many people have gone on social media and seen the latest fad diet or the newest exercise gizmo on TV infomercials. Um, and it, the, the number of choices and what's best just becomes overwhelming. And so we freeze and do nothing. Um, and I've certainly been there myself in a variety of ways. Um, so if we can keep it simple for individuals, um, that goes a tremendously long way to helping them take those first steps that lead to the next steps that lead to success. Uh, you know, so if we look at something like uh, high blood pressure, there's lots of different ways to measure that. Um, if you adopt kind of the, the DASH model of eating and really cut down on your sodium, you could see your blood pressure decrease by five or 10 millimeters of mercury. Um, and that's a little bit of, you know, medical speak, but you can see your blood pressure drop and that's like a 15 or 20% reduction in heart disease and stroke risk. And so now taking the extra effort to look for the sodium-free vegetables at the store instead of the ones that have the extra unneeded sodium, that's, that has a dramatic, again, kind of like a return on investment for my time of, I can see my risk for heart disease decrease by reducing and being aware of the sodium I'm, I'm eating. Um, and it could, again, a different door could be physical activity for you, that I can see my blood pressure decrease, my risk for heart disease in the future decrease um, by being a little bit more active. Um, even when it's 10 degrees out and snowing, um, if we can find those opportunities, let's take advantage of them. You have a success example for any of those seven, Tim, that, that you go, somebody really adopted something and they, and this is what that meant to them. And this is what happened. Yeah, not, I mean, we certainly have highlighted individuals in the past at some of our events and the like who have, you know, seen dramatic improvements in their individual health. And those stories, um, I think can certainly be inspiring. Sometimes they can also be, um, overwhelming too, in that I can't envision myself ever reaching that plateau. I don't envision myself ever becoming a marathon runner like that person did, you know. Um, and But one example is we have a, a program we run or provide for companies, churches, et cetera, called Check Change Control. Um, and it, it focuses primarily on blood pressure management um, and helping individuals in the environment that they're frequently spending time in to better have opportunity to check their blood pressure. And the idea being that we, we manage what we measure. And so if you're checking your blood pressure and more aware of those numbers, that can help drive um, action for you. Um, and what we've seen pretty consistently locally and then across the country is that individuals who kind of have that exposure and that opportunity for three to four months, they see their blood pressure drop about 10 or 12 millimeters. Uh, of mercury, which is now, you know, and now you're talking like a 30 or 40% reduction in heart disease and stroke risk. And that's been, again, like I said, across segments and populations and age ranges and, and all sorts of different ways you could subdivide the, the control group, if you will. Um, but that impact has remained pretty consistent. And that's exciting to see that we can, you know, even if your weight is not dropping like you'd like it to necessarily um, as quickly as you'd like it to. You can see kind of some of those underlying markers start to change for yourself. 
which I think provides reinforcement that this is working and worth undertaking going forward as well. So there are things that people can do and people can learn about that doesn't have to take, you don't have to have advanced degrees to, to learn to check your blood pressure, um, to change some things and to control it and to make a dramatic impact, which is pretty cool. So that, that in and itself is empowering. I, I like those examples of, of examples where things don't have to take a lot of effort and they don't have to take a lot of training in order to make a dramatic difference. What would you want the medical community, because you mentioned some things about cholesterol and blood glucose and even blood pressure. You want your medical providers to, to be engaged with this, even BMI. Well, all of them really. Uh, but some of those, you, you need to get that measured through your, through your physician's office. Sure. What would you want the medical community to know about the Heart Association and the things that you're working on? Yeah, I think a, a super critical one is around high blood pressure. Um, this is a, a statistic that still shocks me in some ways, um, but across the country, um, only about 10% of clinical blood pressure measurements are done correctly um, for a variety of reasons. And so the Heart Association has a major effort along with support from like the American Medical Association and others in terms of how can we help advance the rate of accurate blood pressure measurement. Um, because that's so foundational to the conversation that happens next in terms of what the patient can do for lifestyle modifications in terms of what prescriptions might be necessary for them. Um, so accurate measurement is, is just so critical. And then it's helping um, those same providers get resources for what, what does come next. You know, how do we, how do providers act rapidly and, and kind of rally their internal healthcare organization to do everything they can for that patient to help move them away from high blood pressure? Um, and, and then lastly, and increasingly importantly too, is how do we partner with the patient themselves, knowing that, especially these days, you know, you, you might not see that individual again for six or 12 months. So that person needs to be engaged in their own health and feel empowered in their own health in those in-between times um, for the, the changes you're suggesting and prescribing to have the impact you want them to have. Um, and so all of that needs to happen. Um, and similarly for cholesterol, diabetes, et cetera. Um, you know, there are tremendous resources available in the community that can help those processes. You know, how can some of that messaging be shared through faith communities, through employers that help make it resonate and, and reverberate all the more? Um, and those are some of the, the types of resources and efforts that the Heart Association is trying to provide for um, clinicians in, in Wisconsin, but across the country as well. How are we doing in that space around around the health, around the medical community? How are we doing in, in blood pressure and the idea of knowing what these seven things are and, and doing that interaction with the, with the with their patients? I think in a lot of ways, um, Wisconsin is doing a lot of really good stuff. You know, our I, I shared earlier that the the nationally the control rate for blood pressure is about fifty percent. 
where, where through a variety of ways you've brought somebody's blood pressure down to a manageable level um, that's not as risky for their health. Um, in Wisconsin, we have a lot of healthcare systems that are in that 75, 80, 85, even a couple nearing 90% control. Um, and so there's a, a lot of good to build on. Um, but then if we as a heart association step back and see some of those disparities start to emerge again as well, um, that for individuals without great access to medical insurance, who are living in a food desert, who don't have immediate access to um, physical activity like some of us do, all of those things start to build and their control rate is you know, still closer to 40 or 50%. Um, and so how can we support some of those clinics and organizations, the federally qualified health centers, the free and charitable clinics in our midst are working so hard um, to control chronic disease for their patients. Um, but they're just, there's barriers that they're facing as well as, as healthcare organizations. And so how can we help them better help their patients is certainly is a, is a major focus of ours right now as well. That's part of that relentless pursuit, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. My last question for you, and this wasn't on our list, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw it at you, brother, but I know you can handle it. I want you to picture a day sometime in the future where you're no longer number one. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a time we don't want to be number one. You've dropped down to three, four, or five in the causes of death. You, you we're no longer number one. What has happened as a result of heart disease no longer being the number one killer? I think we're seeing a lot more of life um, as individuals and as a community. Um, one of our, our focus areas for a while was life is why. And then encouraging individuals to kind of fill in for themselves, what is it in life that you will miss out on if you do not take care of your health? Um, and individuals took that in a number of different directions, um, but it was really powerful to hear what was important and motivating to them. And I, you know, I would encourage people to still tap into that when they set about having a, a health focus of diet or physical activity or tobacco cessation or whatever is is remember that why um you know for me too then i see uh the data came out a couple of years ago that this generation of of youth was going to be the first in a while to have a shorter life expectancy than their parents um because of childhood obesity and a number of other factors and so i i've got kids i know you have kids and um that's not what I want to see for my kids um, is that they're expected to live a shorter life than me. And so I think if we can transform this and knock cardiovascular disease down, uh, we talk about working ourselves out of a job and that's the, the ultimate goal. Um, we'll see more of whatever it is that gives your life flavor and more of whatever it is that gives our community's life flavor. Um, so that's what we look forward to and it allows um, each of us to kind of paint that that vision for ourselves. 
That's pretty cool. I, I like that idea of life is why. And, and so it takes that component of what can we do as individuals? What can our communities do? And frankly, what can our nation do in order to support the decreasing of heart disease and chronic disease to where it's no longer number one? We'll let somebody else be number one. Sounds good to me. Tim, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? I would just share that um, if anybody wants to get involved in some of that, uh, that policy work, and whether that's in employer policy or policies within your community or your schools, um, our website locally is heart.org slash Milwaukee. Um, so my contact information is there. You can also go to your the cure, Y-O-U-R-E-T-H-E-C-U-R-E.org. Um, and register to be part of our action network. Um, so a new activity out there is that SNAP incentive program that we have. Um, and through that website, you can quickly put in your name and address and we'll send a kind of a pre-written note to your legislature to let them know that how you feel about the issue. Um, and there's other opportunities like that that will come down the, the pike here too. That is fantastic. I love that idea of individual advocacy, that idea of empowerment, and the idea of taking some of these things into our own hands, because if we don't, who will? Tim Nikolai, this has been a joy for me. This has been truly a pleasure, and I've learned new things about you. Thank you for your commitment to community. Thank you for your commitment to heart health and to that relentless pursuit of that relent being that relentless force for a healthier and longer life. That was quite a conversation. I was just thrilled to talk with Tim today, who talked about that relentless pursuit of being a force for a longer and healthier life. He talked about policies and practices that we can do as a community, such things as decreasing food deserts, even stable housing for all people. But he also talked about some scary thoughts, the increased use of tobacco by teenagers, chronic disease, nutritional security and health equity. There are things that each of us can do, but at the same time, there are things of us that our social systems and our social structure must do in order to make these changes. We will continue to look for that day when heart disease is no longer the number one killer but until then, we will do our parts, including uh, having this podcast. If you liked what you heard today or watched on YouTube, subscribe, listen, share, leave us a comment. And we will continue to bring you good things around health and good things around wellness. I'm your host, David Nelson, and this is Days of Learning Podcast. Good day.